Hello and welcome to the Customer Insight Leader Podcast. Data, analytics, big data, data science, machine learning, customer insight, behavioral science, blockchain, data ops, data engineering, agile working, phew, too many terms, too many things to think about. Do you as a leader need somewhere to turn, to hear what other leaders are doing, to hear what really makes a difference in your business? Welcome. The Customer Insight Leader Podcast is here for you. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a different leader in the fields of customer insight, data, and analytics to hear what they really do, what really makes a difference. So settle down, get that cup of coffee, and enjoy the Customer Insight Leader Podcast. Hello and welcome back to Season 2 of the Customer Insight Leader Podcast, a place to hear from today's leaders in the fields of data, customer insight, data science, analytics, and AI. As I shared in the preview episode for this season, a new emphasis for these conversations is that we'll be digging deeper into some of those all-important softer skills. I'm your host, Paul Lachlan, and with me today is Cole Nesbaman Affleck. What can I say? about a globally recognized author and a leader in the data viz world like Cole. Well, she tells me she's always had a penchant for turning data into pictures and stories. Following a successful career in financial services, and especially Google, Cole started writing and also set up her own business, both of which I'm sure we'll explore further. She is, of course, most famously known as the author of best-selling books, including Storytelling with Data, Storytelling with Data Let's Practice, the big fat workbook one, and now a new one, Storytelling with You, Plan, Create and Deliver a Stellar Presentation, which we're, we're also going to touch on. For over a decade, Cole and the team she has there have also delivered interactive learning sessions sought after by data-minded individuals and organisations all over the world, including yours truly. They also help people create graphs that make sense and weave them into compelling stories through all the different channels they've got. Storytelling with Data has got a community, a blog, a podcast, and a video. So, wow, it really does feel like a personal honor to have her with me today as my guest. Welcome, Cole. Hi, Paul. It's great to be here today. It's very good to have you with us as well. You probably heard on the podcast that I've shared, Cole, that my standard style is to start with asking people to give their backstory, if you like, so we, we know where they're coming from. So in time or tradition for this podcast, can you please tell us your career story? How did you grow into the work that you do today? Absolutely. So I think the plot for this story, um, let's start with university, where... Okay. I studied math. I always enjoyed problem solving and the logic that goes into that. And then I found myself in at the beginning of my career in banking. It was credit risk management back before right. the subprime crisis. I was building mm. statistical models and doing a lot of heavy lifting with numbers. Mm. And that was actually where I first started playing around with visualizing data. For me, at first, that was just a way, I think, to bring some creativity into the process. Mm. And yeah, I've always enjoyed you know, both logic and numbers, but also aesthetics and beauty. And so mm. making graphs mm. meant I could play with color and form. And it was interesting because what I started to notice was when I spent time on how 
the way I visualized data looked, I noticed that people, my stakeholders, my audience, they were spending more time looking at the graphs I created. So yeah. it became this self-reinforcing cycle in a really positive way. And I started to really see the value of taking numbers and taking data and the complicated statistical methodologies. And when you turned those into something that someone can see, you can bring understanding in so many different ways. And so that became a superpower that I recognized mm, relatively mm. early on that has served me throughout the foundation of my career. So first in banking, and from there, I went to Google uh, to an, another analytical role, but in a very different space. It was in the HR, the human resources department at Google, right. but on what was called the people analytics team there. Mm -hmm. And what was really interesting, it was taking a lot of the same sort of methodologies I, I'd been using and applying to loans and credit cards, but now to people, right? Of how do you predict when somebody's likely to leave the organization or what different mm -hmm. interventions can you test out to change those behaviors? Mm -hmm. I also continued at Google this fascination with making numbers into pictures and actually had the opportunity to build out a training on data visualization. It was initially for a project um, uh, that we were developing within the HR organization, but okay. ended up being so popular that we rolled it out across Google. And I got really? to travel right. offices yeah, around the world and practice like understanding how I guess I'll back up. It gave me the opportunity to pause and do research and really gain mm. an understanding for why some of the things that I'd learned through trial and error over years of doing this, why some things worked better than others and mm. understanding the, you know, the, the way the brain works behind that and how we can understand that and use that to really strategically design visual communications. And I also just through the different audiences that I had at that point, because there's a lot of salespeople, but also engineers or marketing. And right. it really became clear that Nobody naturally knows how to communicate visually with data. This is something, it's a skill. It's something yes. that needs to be taught. There are things you can learn and that basically everyone in all sorts of different roles can have greater impact if they learn to develop this skill. And so I taught scores of classes at Google in all sorts of different uh, parts of the company and mm. um, you know, all sorts of different locations and then realized that this isn't something that's needed by Google alone. So it was, let's see, 2012, more than 10 years ago, when mm. I left Google and started storytelling with data, where we think of our mandate as helping people make graphs that make sense, but also really going beyond the visual and weaving the information that we need to communicate into a story, using mm -hmm. that to get our audience's attention and build their understanding and our credibility mm -hmm. and ultimately drive them to act. And we do that through workshops and you know, all the other resources that you mentioned, the books, the podcasts, the videos. And I think one thing that has become increasingly apparent to me over the years where I've spent so much of my time thinking about 
the visuals and thinking about how you build a great graph is that you can do all of that and it still maybe isn't enough because the role that the individual, the role that the person communicating that information plays in that process is just as, if not more important than the visual communication piece. Yeah. And so increasingly, I've been spending more of my time when it comes to that and really trying to help people understand that, yes, you can build a great graph and you should work to do that if you're needing to communicate with numbers, but you should also invest in yourself and become adept at talking about your work, whether it's data or anything, in a way that engages people and gets them to want to listen and gets them excited about the things that excite you so that you can yeah. propel action. And that's really where the new book, Storytelling with You, comes from. Great. Great. What are you, you had commensurate storyteller told you do it in everything you communicate oh so, thank you that, you're very welcome um but no no that's lovely in terms of seeing how the the grounding in data and analytics led to the experience need to visualize the data effectively and that kind of evolved into it being part of a story and that's evolved again for you in some ways into yes. so much on the way you tell the story as well it's like a it's a bit like a maturity scale yeah absolutely a few things I want to pick up on because there's so many fascinating things in your your career journey. I, I guess even right from the beginning, it strikes me that I think you're so right to emphasise that what you wanted was to be able to use your creative side. I, I've yes, come yes. across, both in the training that I do and the leadership roles I've had as well, people thinking sometimes of analysts and people with data roles as they're just the numbers folk, you know, we, we, we just assume that they'll, they, they won't be doing any of the creative stuff. They're not that side of the brain. You know? And and yet I've known so many of those people who their intellectual interest, their fulfillment of bringing their whole person to work is also part of them liking to be visually creative, liking to be able to perform. There, there are many different creative aspects to these people as well. Would you share that perspective that we kind of wrongly compartmentalize people by assuming that the data analytics people wouldn't be particularly creative? Yeah, it's interesting because I think it happens in both directions where, you know, as you said, we, we tend to categorize people as number people and then assume that they're they're not going to be skilled in these other areas. But I think mm -hmm. just the way that people sort of grow up and are brought through school, that it, we all have that creative side. You know, everybody draws as children, for example, right? I think of yeah. my three yeah. young children that they love nothing more than a pack of colored crayons and they have no no restraint when it comes to just putting stuff out there and being prolific yeah. and enjoying yeah. that process. And I think for many of us, and especially if you go into a more technical role, you you find maybe it's so easy to do things perfectly the first time or to edit things so that they are perfect when you're working in a tool or when mm. you are mm. writing code that we lose this appreciation of the rough and dirty and the unfinished, which yeah. I think yeah. both is sad from the standpoint of just the artistic dampening that 
happens. But then also there is such value when it comes to how we plan a project and how we think about our approach and that when we start low tech, and this is something I've been a big proponent of all along uh, that comes out clearly, I think, in, in all three books and in all of yeah. our work, but starting with pen and paper and yeah. having to write and it's sloppy and it takes time. But when you're yeah. doing that, you have to think about everything you're doing yes. and the thought process and the fact that it does slow you down and make you mm -hmm. think mm -hmm. and where you're maybe more likely to edit yourself in useful ways mm -hmm. and not just <laughs> add another slide or build another graph yes. because you can yeah. and it's fast and it's easy and it's yeah. gratifying but yeah. let things be slow and mm -hmm messy at first because mm -hmm. when you're planning and when you're thinking and before you have great clarity around what you should develop, right? And when I say this, I'm thinking, you know, it could be a graph that you're communicating with or a slide you're going to build or a presentation you're going to give yes. starting in these low tech, slow, low fidelity ways can be really helpful in terms of the thinking process that it enforces and just having you grapple with things so that then by the time you turn to your tools and you're developing the professional looking perfect or beautiful thing, you're so much more efficient. And you've gone through this thought process ahead of time that gets you focused on the right sort of things. So you're not just in graph creation mode or slide development mode because that feels productive, but you're doing things, you're creating things with a specific goal, a specific audience, and a specific plan in mind that's going to ultimately help you do all of this better. Yeah, so I yeah, took that yeah. probably in a slightly different direction than you were. No, that, that, that's fine, Cole, and I, I do agree with you. And I was delighted to see it. It's it's an emphasis right through the three books. It's very clearly um, communicated very succinctly for, for how much you got to say in the in the latest book as well. And I know when I was on one of your workshops, it's one of my most enjoyable parts of that workshop in some ways. The the little tiny square post-it notes, and you won me yes. over to that that media for low tech storyboarding. It is it is yeah. very effective. The, the other thing that occurred to me hearing your um, career story was, I'm not saying it's happenstance, but it must have been a great opportunity to be traveling so widely and presenting to such a diversity of people with doing the training for Google. I mean, you're a very effective trainer. Do you put the chance to hone your craft down to that, that you've just got a chance to do it again and again to different audiences, different cultures, and you kind of honed your training skills that way? Absolutely. And it, you know, it was very fortunate. I, I feel very fortunate to have had that experience at mm. Google. And it was not only the ability to be in front of a lot of diverse groups and audiences, but when I was first starting to teach, I was able to go through a train the trainer program at Google, where yeah. it was a couple weeks and some different classes. We learned about different adult learning styles. Yeah. Uh, we had some fantastic mentors where you know we went through things like recording our ourselves and critiquing yes. how we do things. Also, the one of the situations, actually, I write about it in the latest book, but that stands out to me as probably one of the most important, not probably, one of the most important pieces of feedback I have ever received in my entire career. Mm -hmm. So 
it was a class I was teaching and one of the instructors from the train the trainer program sat in on this course. It was data visualization course, two hours long. It was in a conference room, kind of a board room sort of situation where you've got a big long table in the middle. Everybody is seated around the table. Mm -hmm. There is uh, slides being projected on one end of that long table. And then I was seated on the opposite end of that long table. And I go through, I do the training. This was one of the early ones. And afterwards, Neve was her name. And I still remember this conversation because she pulled me aside and she said, that was so fantastic. However, (laughs) I felt like I was watching a tennis match because I, the entire time, the slides were important. They were showing visually things that I needed people to be looking at as I was teaching the concepts. And so Mm -hmm. she said, so I I was looking at the slide, but then I couldn't not look at you at the other end of the table because you were so animated sitting there, (laughs) right? The way you use your hands and your voice. And and so these things with the way they were positioned in the room, there was tension. They were opposing forces because it was impossible to pay attention to both at the same time, which led to this really uncomfortable feeling. And so she said, stand up, walk so that people can see you and the slides at the same time. And this was groundbreaking feedback for me, because not only did this mean that the slides and I were no longer competing against against each other, now we were working in concert, Mm. but there was something very interesting about me physically moving from seated to standing, where I found early on, as I'm not a naturally confident, good speaker. This is something that I've honed over many years and a ton of practice. I, I think of myself know, as an introvert. <laughs> it's, it's carefully hidden, right? I, I, I'm an introvert. My, my natural habitat is behind a computer in a room by myself. Yeah. But I recognized relatively early on that if that's where I stay, I can never have the impact that mm-hmm. I want to have and that I think I can have. And so early on, there was something really interesting about standing up where suddenly I was no longer introvert Cole. I was playing the role of teacher Cole, instructor Cole, facilitator Cole. And that changed everything. So, and that really was the point where, you know, I, I already knew my content. Well, I have had a good amount of passion always for this space. (laughs) And so being able to share you know, I think even back to some of those early, well, and a lot of those early ones where I know that I was full of filler words and my voice was mm-hmm. shaky mm-hmm. and there were all the things that probably made it not a great experience, but I was so excited about it that I was able to get people excited about it. And that that carried me through those first uh, you know, couple dozen probably presentations and courses uh, where I knew my content was strong and could now start to hone myself. And I think it's in the very much, I didn't recognize this at the time. I think I'm only now recognizing this looking backwards, that Mm -hmm. it's really the same process of trial and error that I used over time to understand how to make a good graph and how to engage people visually that I applied to myself. And the really cool thing about that is uh, when you're in front of people, you get real-time feedback, right? Immediate data on how it's going, uh, which can be 
be hard at times, but it's also yeah. fascinating, yeah. right? Because it, when I'm in front of a room and I know my stuff well, it means I can spend part of my brain share really being present and noticing people's mm. body language and mm. facial expressions. And, mm. you know, if somebody furrows their brows, I can dig into that. I can say, you know, who's con what's confusing here or do you have questions or right. you know where are you trying to tie this to your own work and grappling with that like voice that opinion uh, I can slow down I can speed up I can move around the room and totally change people's experience as a result of that right mm -hmm. somebody gets out their cell phone and starts scrolling <laughs> You just yeah. kind of walk over to that area and you don't have to say anything when yes. people feel yes. their eyes in that direction. And you, as the person talking sort of above their shoulder, they put the phone away pretty quickly. And so you get all of these things that you can play with. And mm -hmm. yeah, for me, it was really going through that. And then having another one of these eureka moments of it's not just the slides. Like I, as I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about this and as yeah. I'm doing yeah. these things, like I, I have control over how this plays out for the people in the room. And it's yeah. not just me. Everybody has this control when they yeah. are communicating. And so often though, we work against ourselves and these are not, they're not crazy technical skills. In fact, these skills no. I think are probably easier to learn than the technical side, but for some reason, they're more scary for a lot of mm. people. And I think it mm. goes back to one of the things you said before, you know, people get classified or categorized as numbers people. And mm. then it sort of becomes, well, I don't need to be able to communicate because I'm a numbers person. And it yes. becomes this yes. excuse, which is yeah. so unfortunate. Yeah, no, completely, com completely agree. And, and then it builds it up to a bigger, scarier thing to try and be this yes. different type of person rather than yes. have this other dimension of development of being a whole person in some ways, a, a natural element of who you are. Yep. I, I'm struck with that example, and I, and I can remember being on your courses, so I can I can see you doing it in my mind's eye, of mm -hmm. you you reading people's facial expressions and kind of responding. Now, as, as a presenter and trainer myself, how do you avoid it putting you off? You know, when you see that person who looks yeah. a bit grumpy or looks a bit bored or you think that you've lost their attention, yes, it can give you information that you could respond to, but some people will see that and they'll be going, oh, no, that's it. I'm failing. I've lost my audience. And they sort of spiral downwards. How do you yeah. buoy yourself up? How do you keep your response to that positive? Yeah, great question. And it is all in the framing. And and I will say this is mm. one of those things, you know, earlier on, this was more likely to throw me off or mm. Uh, mm. this is one of those skills over time that as you become more comfortable, more confident, the reframing becomes easier because when I see the grumpy face, I think to myself, all right, that person, they're not bought in. They don't know why they're, why they're here. Mm. Uh, they don't think I'm going to be able to teach them anything, maybe, right? All of these things I'm, I'm assuming from that facial expression or the body language yeah. that I read. Yeah. And I see that as the most fun challenge because there is nothing more gratifying than being That's able funny. to take that person who starts out looking skeptical and yeah. see their facial expression and their body language soften over the course of the day and see how you can get them to interact. And yeah, I, I love that because it's a visible signal that I have changed someone in the time that I've spent with them. 
And yes. and I've noticed yes. also, I, I there have been times where I've misread someone. Uh, I'll, I'll share an anecdote here because uh, it's a fun one. There was a session I was giving once. It was to a highly technical group. And there was a guy who was sitting in the front row. And so I had very, he was very much in my line of sight for the entire session. And he, he looked to me, I was interpreting him as not being bought in okay. and through the entire session. And I totally misread it. And how I knew I misread it was we got done and he stood up and he said, before everyone leaves, I have something I want to say. <laughs> and I think to myself, Oh dear, what, what is this going to be? Yes. And he holds up my book, The White One Storytelling with Data. Yeah. And he says, never in my life has a timeline made me cry. And he opens it up to the acknowledgement page where I, I have a graph and yes. the, you know, the, I, I won't go into the details, but it, so I had misread that the entire time. He was like a super fan and he was right. just, that was his learning phase, right? Yeah. So you have to be careful yes. about interpreting some of that as well, because sometimes you misread. Um, but I thought that was a really uh, neat way to learn that I misread him. That is that is a nice human story example, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I love your framing as a coach and mentor as well. It's 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 very effective, Cole, to to reframe in that way. It's yeah. almost cognitive behavioural work. It's very good. Yes. Um, the uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, the the theme, the emphasis, maybe is the better word for this season of the podcast is all around softer skills and those skills beyond the technical and beyond the kind of textbook leadership skills that particularly data and analytics leaders need to be effective in their interaction with people. I ask each guest on here to kind of tell me which 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 of those skills has really served them best in their careers. I guess yours is going to be around communication. Would that be a reasonable guess? I think that that probably is a reasonable guess. I will say, though, Paul, I hate the phrase soft skill because okay. I think that is one of the reasons, right? When we go back to these categorization as numbers people, right? They're, mm. they're technical. And so they don't need the soft skills. I just It makes it easier for that to become an excuse because yeah. what I have mm. found is you can actually approach how you communicate in such a strategic way way and that this is the thing that can propel a career beyond almost everything else i mean sure mm. you have to have a grounding mm. in an understanding in something to be able to share and right have the grounds to be able to communicate sure. but it's it's curious to me because so many people come to you know come to our courses or read the book and they often the question they're asking when it comes to what comes next is how do i get better with my technical skills? How do I, how do I make graphs even better? Right. Mm. I've, I've read storytelling with data. What's storytelling with data too? Like, where do I go yes. next from here? What's yes. the graduate level course? And the honest, I, I had a hard time answering that question for a long time. And, you know, my, my answer would be something like, well, it's not, it's not the next thing. It's just getting more nuanced in applying like basically the same things and getting comfortable yes. doing them in more situations and yeah. being more successful. But I actually don't think that's the right answer. I think the next level, particularly for those who have technical expertise, you've honed your skills there. You can do mm. what you need to do rather than doubling down on that. 
the thing that is going to propel your career the most is to actually go into some of these spaces that are going to feel uncomfortable. And I think of it yeah. as productive discomfort. And yeah. the biggest opportunity I see is for folks to really focus on themselves and mm -hmm. developing their ability to speak about their work and to speak about their work mm -hmm. in a way that works you know, for them, yes, but first and foremost, for their audience, for their stakeholders, for the people whose minds and hearts they are trying to change. Yeah. Because if yeah. you can learn to do that, you have this really magical combination of being yes. able to appeal to people on a rational, technical level and on an emotional level. Yes. And those two things combined, like you're unstoppable when it yes. comes to being able to do that. And it, it, you know, it doesn't solve every challenge that's going to arise, mm -hmm. but it mm -hmm. gives you so many different ways to be able to navigate through them that I don't mm -hmm. understand why someone wouldn't want to spend time on mm -hmm. this, you know, developing themselves. It's going to serve you in any aspect of your life that you apply it to. Yeah, no, completely agree. And uh, maybe more than many other people's skills, if I use that word rather than softer yeah. skills. Um, this communication skill is is so broadly applicable. And I, I agree with you. I think with the people I've led and the people I've worked with, most of the time, technical expertise is kind of table stakes. It's kind of hygiene mm -hmm. for being at a certain level of influence. But to go further in the career, to really make a difference, is all in the people skill area. It, it's yes. it's all in there that and work on yourself i i wonder that and i'm kind of bringing to mind some of the people i've worked with over the years as well i know that it's it's sometimes been difficult with with some of the technical leaders who took almost their identity from their data and analytics expertise to persuade them to put that effort into data visualization persuade them the importance of visual communication and, and they got there and, and they kind of yeah. began to see that and improved and it feels a bit like like we talked with the maturity scale, I guess. We're asking them now to make another push and yes. to realize not only did you need to master those database skills, but now there's a bunch of presentation skills, present skills, the communicating with the whole of who you are. How do you persuade people to once again put maybe yeah. more focus on this than they have realized is needed? Well, and I think sometimes maybe it ends up feeling like a bait and switch, right? Because people have spent so much time <laughs> yeah. at that point developing the technical side and then they get there and they feel like, all right, I've done it. I feel like I'm in a good place. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, mm -hmm. no, but now there's this whole other category of things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, wait, mm -hmm. wait, but what? I've been <laughs> and, and the, the truth yeah. of it is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have to, you have to go through, you have to develop your expertise somewhere, mm -hmm. uh, but to a level that is appropriate for for what you need or for what the business needs or for you know where you want your career to go and then yeah to your point if you want to go further than that shifting the focus shifting uh how you intentionally develop yourself how do you convince people it's it's hard and i think the person has to want it before it's going to work i don't think yeah. for somebody who yeah. is resistant i i don't think that I or you or anyone can convince them otherwise. I guess the way that I try is by demonstrating. By mm. I, I do a lot of 
different variations of, you know, we go through what the bad presentation looks like. And I have, I have a ton of fun mocking and yes, like being the bad presentation and delivering it as if it is the presentation. And I think I confuse some people with that. My husband gets really nervous when I do this. Like, <laughs> people are going to think that you actually present like that. Like, no, yes, nobody's going to yeah. think that. And I don't do I've it seen you do long. one of those. It is great fun. Yeah. But, well, and everybody, it resonates, right? Because mm -hmm. everybody can mm -hmm. see mm -hmm. their own experience in that of mm -hmm. we've all sat through those awful presentations or like been part of them. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, so we relate to those. Uh, but then to be able to see how there are simple things you can do, and it's both simple things you can do to the materials that you present and yeah. simple things you can do to the way you deliver those materials that can help everything excel on all of those fronts. And I think one of the things that sometimes is a deterrent for people is they think they have to go from where they're at to suddenly being able to walk out on a TED stage and deliver yeah. a knockout yeah. presentation. That's that's not realistic, right? And that's not that's not where everybody needs to be no. at all. So really think seeing it as a journey, as a process, as a learning experience mm -hmm. every single time you're practicing, you're honing, and you are picking up on what works well that you can do more of and what maybe didn't go so well and how you can approach that either in the moment or next time. And in First, starting off, it's probably not in the moment. It's how do you how do you yeah. deal with that next time? Yeah. And then as you get more nuanced and have more practice, then you can start doing things in the moment and see how that impacts things as well. And it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to join Toastmasters or be <laughs> preparing for a keynote presentation presentation on a stage. Think yeah. about how you can practice when it comes to everyday communications, when yeah. you are talking about your work with your spouse or with your colleagues, when you are talking about something in a team setting, like look for, especially if you want to play with any aspects of how you're communicating, doing that in really low risk, um, uh, what, like, uh, like nice friendly situations yes. first yes. and understanding that, uh, can be helpful. I'll, I'll take a more of a specific example because that was, um, not very specific. You know, let's say I've decided, well, and actually let's step back further than that. How do we decide what we want to focus on? I think a great way that is, it's always uncomfortable. I'll just put this out there, mm -hmm. but record yourself, take mm -hmm. something, you mm -hmm. know, yes. well, that you can talk about for about five minutes and record yourself, record both mm -hmm. audio and video. And, and I talk through this in the book, but I'm a big fan of watching it back three on three different instances. Mm -hmm. So you watch it back yeah. once just to get comfortable watching and hearing yourself yes. because yes, invariably we sound and look different than yeah. you think we do, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is fine. And so just use that first viewing just to kind of get over your preconceived notions of how you come across. Mm -hmm. And then in the next viewing, you want to actually minimize the screen or not watch the video and just listen 
to yourself mm -hmm. and you'll pick up things of, you know, are you, you're just talking straight through and you're not pausing, or maybe there are a lot of filler words. And so yeah. you'll hear yourself doing things or using similar words many times, uh, or, you know, you are talking, talking, talking and not taking time to breathe. And now you're running out of voice <laughs> and your voice starts to yes. shake. So you can hear yeah. yourself doing all of these things yes. or some of these things, yeah. uh, and then watch it back a third time where you mute the volume and you simply watch yourself. Yes. And this yes. is where you can notice things like what facial expressions are you making? Do you look yeah. interested in what you're talking about? How are you using your body? Do you, are you exhibiting yeah. a comfortable looking posture? Are you yeah. using yeah. your hands appropriately? Yeah. And the things that you aren't doing well will likely jump out to you, but those yes. are some things to watch out for. And in cases where you're in friendly groups and practicing, you can even let them know about it. So you can say, you know, I'm working on eliminating my filler words. So I yeah. might be talking strangely slow because I'm also practicing on rather than using filler words, letting there be pause and be comfortable yes. with there being no sound. And you can do it out to an extreme for a while that just mm -hmm. gets you a little more comfortable with it. And again, doing this in friendly situations versus like a big presentation can be a yeah. great way to practice and play things out to extremes because then you can start to be comfortable with using pauses in your everyday speech. And then when you can't find the next word you're trying to think of that you want to say next instead of um, uh, 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 you pause yeah. until that word strikes you or a suitable replacement and then you continue on and now you sound thoughtful instead of like you didn't know what you were talking about. There's <laughs> yes. all these little yes. things that it's you can true. play with. True. And true. for me, these are you know, all the tricks that I learned over speaking in front of people thousands of times. And that's really yeah. what a big part of the latest book is, is trying nice. to put that down and speed that process up for other yeah. people. That is great. That is great. Yeah. And your, your passion, which you clearly convey on this podcast as well. I, I can see it motivating you to write this book, Cole, because it, it, it comes yeah. through in the book and it, it comes through here as well. One, one question, actually, having read the book, so for, for readers of the blog as well, I did review storytelling with you on, on Customer Insight Leader. So yes, do go, and, go and look at the review. You're, you're very welcome. Loved it. One thing I was fascinated by when reading it, and I, I liked the way you structured this in the book, was using that tricks trail mix as a case yeah. study at the end of each chapter. It's a lovely way to take the theory and show what that might be like in a real world example. But I was I was left intrigued, and you might not want to reveal behind the curtain here, Cole, that's up to you, but I was wondering how true that tricks trail mix was to your real life consulting experience, because oh, great question. it felt very real. <laughs> Yeah. So, I'll, well, I'll share something that I think I've never shared outside of my team before, which is so I started writing this book years ago. Uh, I think it was it was I started writing this one before Let's Practice, which actually came out sooner. Mm. Uh, I mm. wrote the I, I wrote the table of contents and the introduction. I think it was like 2018. It was years ago. And then okay. I set it aside and then I kind of had some starts and stops and then COVID hit. And then I thought, oh my goodness, nobody's ever going to talk to each other in person again. This is like yeah. fully irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I paused again. But then as we were starting to see the, uh, the world come back together again, I realized, no, now people need to know how to talk to each other more than ever. Mm. Um, so mm. That part is not so foreign, but uh, the part that I haven't really shared with anyone is when I started writing this book, it was with a completely different case study. 
And oh, I didn't my. know going in whether I was going to use the same case study throughout. I had originally had the idea because it's in three sections. There's plan, create, and deliver. Yep. I'd originally thought it would be a different example that we would follow along in each. Oh. And the example I started out with, and this was pre-COVID, but it was uh, a medical, like a regional medical facility who was looking into changing supplier relationships of going from a multi-supplier relationship in one area to either oh, single okay. or dual. And, and I, I had written the first, I think like four chapters. Yeah. That first section. Yeah. And I had this case study fully written out, fully baked. And I found myself really bored with it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, and then COVID and like, yeah, there was so like, I didn't want anything in the medical space because it just, oh, wow. we'd all yes. experienced so much yes. of that. Yes. And I grappled with true. this for a long time because I was, even though I didn't love it, I was attached to it because I'd spent so much time. There are already four yeah. chapters of yeah. the case study written. Yeah. And so this was one of the things that delayed me because I was grappling because I, I knew it wasn't right, but I also wasn't yet mm. ready to change it because that would take mm. some energy. Mm. And so... I went back and forth and back and forth. And actually, one of the things that ended up happening was in the meantime, we did our first iteration of a longer form online course. It was a 10-week course where we went into a different topic each week. And I created this new tricks case study originally as part of that course and then realized this is the case study that needs to be in the book because right. it's fun, right? It's about trail yes, mix. Yes, it's, yes, it's, you absolutely. Know, it's case tests. It's, it's something that everyone can understand. You know, it's ingredients that we either love or hate. So we have some personal <laughs> yes. kind of connection. Yeah, yeah. And I, this is going to sound really funny, but for the longest amount of time, I had the, it was the national parks here in the States they did this color forecasting uh, sort of promotional marketing thing for a while where on yeah. social media, it would be a beautiful picture of one of the national parks. And then they would show the like Pantone color palette that they yes. pull the yes. primary colors out of it. And I always thought it was so beautiful. And there was this one in particular, it was this picture of arches uh, and it was, you know, this really bright orange and like, mm intense navy and a bright blue and yellow and I thought it was so beautiful and I for the longest time had been looking for a reason to use this color palette and it just kind of all came together and clicked <laughs> it's like Lovely. all right it's macadamia nuts it's trail mix it's taste testing and we're using this color palette that I've always wanted to use which is like a really funny uh nice. <laughs> coming together of things but that ended up being the color palette that we used for the entire book and yes. yeah it, it it was really fun to do and like Alex on the team was helping me and she had so much fun with the product sort of stuff of like taking mm, pictures mm, and doing the mm. packaging and she made the trail mix and yeah we definitely have to make this trail mix at some point because i've it, it looks and great. You, so you, much you, about it yeah. you definitely do yeah, it's, it's all about the macadamia nuts and you it is. you, you definitely really, need to make they're magical it. that is that is that is great to know that that, yeah, that was kind of the process Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the reveal there. And it's, it, it hints on so many things, isn't it? Like that low tech storyboarding <laughs> again, you, you got emotionally connected. I can, I can yes. see that. Yeah. The, the other thing I guess that struck me about the book, or oh, a little throwaway again for the listeners, there's some great stuff about color palettes actually in the book as well. If you want to get oh, better yeah. at being intentional with your color palettes in PowerPoint, buy this book for that reason as well. But the, one of the things that really struck me, and I think one of the reasons I was so keen to review it, Cole, was it felt like you were giving equal weight to and speaking up for the skills of 
developing yourself, your presence, how you speak, how you mentally approach the, the presentation as well. Not just data visualization and storytelling and PowerPoint skills, which not everybody brings those together, but they are kind of there separately. And it, it feels to me like once I'd read it and heard you on it, I thought, yeah, actually, this is being neglected in all the interest of the data yeah. business storytelling skills, particularly. Maybe we're not speaking quite enough about the other things you need in order to stand up there and give a performance. Was that your passion as well? Did you see it as a gap of what was being talked about? And that's why to bring the, the book or or not? Yes, absolutely. I think it and I this was more recent, right? So you figure I said mm. I wrote the table of contents in 2018. So that was when I was starting to realize that, wow, uh, that there really, there is this whole other piece of the puzzle and it's how we deliver the information. You know, mm. so much of where things succeed or fail come in those moments where, you know, it may not even be in the ultimate presentation room, or you might not even be the one giving the presentation. It's mm. as you're talking to a colleague before a meeting starts, mm. or as you're writing in the elevator. And so it's not only, and, and, the book as well, the, the skills that come up there, it's it's not meant to be, you know, everybody is not going to be standing on a stage giving a presentation. That's not what yeah, this is meant no. to be. This is meant to be more of, as you put, developing yourself for all of these instances when you need mm. to be able to communicate mm. from, mm. you know, when you've got a couple minutes or a sentence to say what you need to say to when you do have more time and ability to use your materials and how to make all of that work together. So my hope is that there is something for everyone in here that will help when it comes to how you portray yourself, how mm. you portray your work and how you can talk about these things in a variety of settings. Now, I'll just highlight one of the chapters because you you talk about you know this being an area that's underserved. One mm. place I've never seen anybody talk about or instruct on or give guidance on mm. is how people introduce themselves. Yes, and so true. I knew from the mm. beginning that I wanted to have an entire chapter devoted to this. It took mm. me a while to mm. figure out where mm. in the book it fit. And interestingly, it actually comes up nearly at the end, which might seem like a funny spot, but I think it makes perfect sense because yes. also yes. introducing yourself becomes such an interesting case study for being able to apply basically yes. all of the other strategies covered yes. in the book. Yes. And so for someone who doesn't have a project or presentation on the horizon, who wants mm -hmm. to start working on this and practicing, jump to the chapter on introducing yourself because it allows you to jump in and try some of these things out in a sphere on a topic that you know very well yourself, <laughs> yes. where yes. we can be really strategic about how we think about what are the emotions we want to get across to someone else what do we how do we want them to feel about us mm. how would they describe us in terms of mm. adjectives mm. after mm. we introduce ourselves where you can actually be really thoughtful in how you craft the story of you in yeah. order to drive the sort of connection that you are trying to establish with your given audience or in a given situation yeah. and yeah. so when you go through this effort in a robust way 
one time, now you have something that you can pull from that you can more easily yeah. modify to be able to meet any scenario. And it was actually only after doing this. So I had done this for myself. Uh, our, my team had done this, uh, even as part of their onboarding in some cases. Uh, mm -hmm. So they, they got used to doing a lot of this stuff very early on, sure. uh, which for me was part of the early evidence that you can teach this stuff. And uh, yeah. so that was yeah. super helpful. But I was part of a networking group once and we were asked to introduce ourselves in a single sentence. And that, it was so easy for me because I had already done this robust, like, mm -hmm. oh, I can, you know, my name's Cole and I help people make graphs that make sense and turn those into stories that resonate with the people they're talking to. Like it was, it, yeah. I didn't even have to think about it. It was the first time yeah. it came up that way. And I was like, oh, hey, that was kind of good. I can probably work with that. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but yes. yeah, the book is all about trying to make people more powerful and feel more in control of their work and how they portray their work to others so that yeah. they can get more attention because there's so much great work that happens that yes. gets lost because it maybe doesn't get communicated as well as it could. And, and I hate that and I want to fix that. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. And it is, it is a great chapter. I do, do agree with you on that, that point. And yeah, I had in my mind the importance that we let's give to that last mile delivery as well. It is kind of the equivalent to that. But it's yeah, it's it's a great emphasis. I'm aware time is against us. We're coming toward the end of our time together, Cole. One of the things I try and make sure I always protect on each episode is an opportunity to ask for tips for those who are a bit earlier in their careers. About half of my audience, as far as I can tell, are quite a bit younger, certainly a lot younger than me. <laughs> and, and and starting out in career, you know, aware of so many possible skills they're meant to focus on, it can probably feel quite daunting. You're potentially bringing a whole load of skills to the table as well. If you're thinking particularly of people who are starting on this journey, what would you tell them to focus first? What's the communication skill they could work on now? I'm going to reiterate something that's already come up that I think is useful for those early in career. It's also useful for everybody at every point, right? It's okay, a right. utility for everyone. And that is to, and, and it's a simple one, look for opportunities to talk to others about your work and to talk to others about what you do. Because the more adept you get at this, better you'll be able to get your ideas across. And it's yeah. going to end up serving you in a lot of different ways. And I think as you do this, find what interests you about it. Where is there a piece of passion in yourself that you can connect with what you want to communicate? Because yeah. if you can't find the interest in it, it's going to be impossible to get anyone else to find the interest in <laughs> it or true. want to pay attention. Yeah. And I'll say when it comes to that, one way to figure out how you might let's say, modify how you talk about your work in a way that is helpful is the next time you find yourself talking about something about which you are really passionate. It might be sports or politics or religion. Mm -hmm. Just take note of what you do. Notice your body yeah. language. Notice what yeah. you do with your hands and your face and your yes. voice and yes. roll the best parts of that into yeah. how you talk about your work. Yes. And practice it takes practice and be patient yeah. with yourself those are great tips what lovely practical tips that they're, they're, they're great cole 
it has been great. I thought it would be. I knew it would be. Um, thank, <laughs> this has thank, been really fun, Paul. <laughs> good, good. Thanks for your time today. I really do appreciate it. And thanks everyone else for listening. I hope you found it helpful and continue to listen to the Customer Insight Leader podcast. More great interviews coming up. And there's also regular content on our blog at customerinsightleader.com. So you might want to check that out too. Before then, it just remains for me to thank everyone again for their time, Cole and all you listeners. Have a great week and perhaps reflect on those tips that Cole has given us. Where could you be practicing talking about yourself in your work? Where do you get passionate about something and how could you notice how you do that, how you communicate it and apply some of that demonstrativeness, some of those tips for delivery to talking about you and your work as well. Have a great time experimenting. As Cole says, it's all about practice. Bye for now.